welcome to the Dad's Group Podcast. My name is Blair. And my name is Adam, aka Burnsy. Nice. Flashy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> mix it up, dude. Yeah, mix it up. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Dad's Group Podcast. Uh, and we're all about helping fathers, helping families. And that is our aim with this podcast is to bring you all, our listeners, our dads, our families, um, just really quality conversations. And, and interviews and guests that'll help you level up in your parenting and your fatherhood. That's right. And as we do for every episode, we're going to start off with a question in reflection of last week's episode. Uh, so last week we had Dom Alford. Dom's a fantastic bloke, mate. He does amazing work with fathers. Something mm. that really stood out to me um, was through the question that uh, TD asked him was, you know, what are you really bad at with your fatherhood, right? Yeah. And that question, I'm like, oh, dude, you can't ask that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, don't ask someone that. You reflect on yourself, but you don't ask other people. But he asked it straight out, and Dom, like, opened all the way up. Mm. It was mm. so cool. Um, but what TD did really well is then he's like, all right, so that's the thing that you really struggle with, and we want to validate that. Like, that's not unique to you. Um, but what are you really good at? Because we need to understand as well, like, we do have good elements of fatherhood, uh, of our parenthood journey. We are, doesn't, like... The thing that we struggle with doesn't mean that we're bad dads most of the time. So to give ourselves some grace and to walk in confidence to be able to work on our stuff that needs to be worked on, but to also, what do you, how do you say it? Like sit in what's really, what we're really good at and going yeah. that with confidence and to celebrate that and to sort of be upbeat about that. Cause otherwise, man, when I focus on the things I'm bad at, I'm depressed as all hell. Like it, it, I just, <laughs> it doesn't motivate me. You know what I mean? It really puts me down. So, I want to have that question, like that conversation with you. Yeah. Um, what yeah, yeah. you, what, tell me you like, what are you really bad at? Oh man. One thing. One thing. I think <laughs> the thing that I struggle with the most is, and probably some of our dads will relate to this, is coming home from work and sort of keeping the energy level up, like yeah. staying switched on and not sort of switching off um, and, and bringing that energy level and trying to meet uh, my little fellow where he's at. Um, yeah. Because I think, you know, I'm still making that transition of like, when work is finished, like, and you come home, it's not about, okay, I get to relax and put my feet up and, you know, veg out, like, there's, <laughs> you know, parenting's a full-time gig. So, mm. um, I think for me, yeah, the, the biggest challenge I've got is keeping that energy level up because there's still this ingrained part of me that wants to just switch off and relax. And yeah. I feel like I don't then meet um, my little fella where he's at in terms of wanting to play or read or, you know, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, what about yourself, Blair? Yeah. So for me, I, you know, I've shared a couple of times through, you know, these podcasts, but like, yeah, I really struggle with being overwhelmed mm. and, and how I deal with that. Like I can get really angry and, yeah. and it's, I hate it, dude. Like I, I hate my responses sometimes. Like I can yell, I can just like, you know, sometimes when you just grit your teeth and you tense up and you just like, you kind of have like a tantrum, like I feel like sometimes. Um, yeah, so it, it just sucks. It's just a, mm. such a sucky feeling to know that, yeah. you know, and I've improved. Like I used to get to a point where I actually scared my kids. Like, and that yeah. was oh, the worst feeling, mate, like scaring your kids. And, and I'm, I, that's, that was a little while ago now. And I, you know, Amy and I have really worked on it. I got help when I needed it and things like that. But um, yeah, definitely low points in, in parenting has been my reactions to when I'm feeling overwhelmed or frustrated or, or whatever else for sure. And again, I don't want to sit in this place though. No. Um, and I want to ask you that question, but what are you really good at in your fatherhood? Yeah, fatherhood? look, I think um, 
the thing that it probably comes to me a bit naturally, but just being able to have a laugh, hmm. um, seeing the humor in things. And yeah. I, I think I am a bit like I, I, I probably lean into humor um, to cover my insecurities just generally in life. But, um, hmm. I think I do it really well with, with our, our little boy and, and, you know, particularly in those moments where it just feels really intense, um, yeah. just to sort of see the lightheartedness and, and um, not, not to, you know, sort of, pave over things and just move on but like just to be able to soften the moment or or lighten the moment a little bit and make it bearable and whether that's through a, a cheesy dad joke or just you know sort of seeing the humor in something like ridiculous that our little fella's doing um but yeah i think humor is is one of the things that i do really well that's yeah. good man how about yourself yeah i think for me is my intentionality um mm. with my kids i'm really trying to learn who they are individually um, is something so dad um, dates is something that I try yeah. and do semi regularly, and I've always have. Um, I've always had the like the mindset of like I don't want to be a babysitter of my kids. I don't. I want to be a parent, so I don't yeah. want to rely on Amy to parent my kids. Like I want to step sure. up to the plate and be that parent. And so I've been intentional with that ever since Charlie was born. Like and he's like you know a day old. I'm I'm very involved. So um, and that's been just beautiful because I like my love for my kids has deepened because like it's not how do I explain it it's not like a love because I have kids but it's like I just love who they are because I've yeah. really been able to learn who they are through that intentionality and I think I mentioned last week or, or previously when I do the dad date like I get time with one-on-one -on -one and they just blossom like their personality comes out because they're not trying to fight for attention or fight for voice space or whatever else it is mm. it's um just their personality and I love yeah. it and, and it's yeah. really fantastic your your intentionality with your kids is something that inspires me because every time we have these chats every time we catch up like you're talking about what you're working on or your what your awareness is on with with your fathering it really inspires me because that intentionality really comes through yeah. and yeah just hearing like that specific relationship you have with each of your your children like it's just so cool like as someone who's only got one so far like it just really i can sort of fast forward a little bit and think oh like imagine having that relationship with with my son or you know any other kids that we have so yeah, yeah. I definitely want to affirm that with you, man. Like that intentionality really comes through in your parenting. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. And and like I can honestly say, um, you know, this is something that Amy and I both really value. So it's mm. a, it's a joint effort. Like, you know, Amy holds me to account to what I wanted to do. Like, and challenges me. Look, you haven't had time with them for a bit. Even with the thing I shared with before, like with the way that I um, deal with being overwhelmed or like the way that I lash out sometimes, she really challenges me. So it's very much a joint effort and uh, between the two of us to mm. hold these things in place. And I want to say that to our listener now too. Like we have really loved um, our feedback, like, you know, you guys putting in um, to these conversations as well. So please yeah. keep that coming through either info at dadsgroup.org um, or through our social media uh, shoot through like what are the things that you struggle with the most and what are the things that you're best at and it can sound quite arrogant and like I know I feel like for a lot of Aussie guys we find it hard to say out loud the things that we're really good at and mm. so I actually needed Amy's help with this you know like what do you see in me to be my strength I didn't need to I didn't go to her like, what do you think is my biggest weakness? Or, I'm, I'm pretty aware, dude. Like, I get it. And, um, and you don't want to give that um, opportunity for someone exactly. to just lay in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, baby steps, baby steps. But um, 
So we want to hear that from you guys too, yeah. like from our listeners, like right into us because as we share, like I said, like um, Bernsey shared, you know, when we share these things with each other, it actually encourages us and we have been super encouraged by you uh, mm. writing into us. So please keep that going. Yeah. Uh, we, we really, really appreciate it. But yeah, yeah. definitely. Bernsey, who we got this week, mate? Oh, this week we've got an absolute banger of a conversation and I cannot wait for you all to hear this. Um, I got to chat with... Uh, Dr. Billy Garvey, uh, and Billy is a developmental pediatrician, uh, which basically means that he works with kids and helps them through those stages of development, particularly when there might be some stalling or some struggles or some, like just a slow transition through. Um, so he works really closely with kids and, and families in a, a unit, a pediatric unit down in Melbourne. So does some really incredible work, which, um, and it's not just the work, but like he's done so much work um, in reading and researching to really understand um, children and their development, families and relationships and, and all of that emotional development sort of stuff. And, and that really comes through in this episode. Um, so I'm really excited to share some of these insights. And, and like he would, in this conversation, there's a couple of times where he says, well, the research says, but then he breaks it down to this really human practical level. So I think that's where a lot of the quality comes from in this, in this chat. Um, Billy, I first came across him um, through his own podcast called Pop Culture Parenting and him and his co-host Nick, basically they take all these movies, like really nostalgic classic movies and they draw these parenting insights and I just love it because like you don't watch these movies and think, oh, that's about parenting. But yeah. again, they put in a ton of work to sort of craft these these insights and these episodes. Um, so that's a great one. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast, definitely recommend that one as well. But Billy's appeared on a ton of other podcasts as well, um, just because he's really um, just so great at finding that that meeting place between the research and like hitting the ground running. So um, definitely, definitely encourage you to to listen to this one. Um, Billy is just he he's so humble and grounded in this one as well, um, and he shares some really great personal anecdotes as well. So yeah. Definitely um, hope you enjoy this conversation with the incredible Dr. Billy Garvey. Welcome to the Dad's Group Pod, uh, Dr. Billy Garvey. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me, Adam. It's a great opportunity to have a chat. Definitely, definitely. Look, we like to start all of our podcasts and conversations by checking in with each other. So I'd like to ask you, Billy, how are you going out of town today? Uh, good. Probably like everyone, I move around a fair bit, but I'm pretty high at the moment just because this is a great chance to um, to talk about some stuff I'm really passionate about. But I'm yeah, I'm doing pretty well today. I've had a couple of meetings already that have gone well and some nice. people are excited about collaborating. So really good. But hopefully I'll stay that way. But so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, I just shift all through the day. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I, we're, we're toilet training our little guy today. So um, well, the next few days while well, we've got um, some holidays happening. So the numbers I'm sort of a bit focused on at the moment are numbers one and number two. But uh, right yeah, now yeah. I'm probably closer to a 10. But I think once we get off, we'll be back down to numbers one and two again. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough, isn't it? It's um, I often think about mealtimes, toileting and sleep are those yeah. three like big pressure points for kids and often yeah. they sense the pressure and kind of go the wrong way. <laughs> so it's really tough as parents. And we do a lot of specific work on guiding families with that stuff. So if you want to chat about that off, oh, off definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Billy, I wonder if you could, if we could start off just by talking about um, some of your work and, and maybe if you could introduce yourself and your family as well um, for some of our listeners who maybe haven't come across you yet. Yeah, definitely. So I um, my background is um, that I'm a um, I'm a developmental paediatrician and I work in a big tertiary hospital, public hospital, and I've been in that environment um, for nearly a decade at that place, um, but I've been working with families for nearly 20 years. Um, I started as a childhood uh, childcare educator. I, um, yeah, and that's what drew me to what I do with the work. I had this great opportunity to really learn and spend time with families. And it was, um, yeah, it was just a wonderful chance to kind of watch kids and how they interact with other kids and go through their emotional processes and the stresses that families have when they're not nailing it. And then kind of went into clinical practice and medicine. I, um, yeah, I found it really helpful to, uh, kind of always have that lens on what I do, but also I'm a parent now. So mm. I've got a two-year-old daughter who's amazing. Um, and yeah, she's, that's kind of been the best thing that's ever happened to me, but has been a really valuable experience for me as well in my professional capacity. Um, so it's kind of everything blends for me. I don't know what it's like for you, Adam, but kind of my work and my experience supporting my daughter and being a dad and learning about that role I'm really lucky, as we were saying before we started recording, it kind of feels like you're cheating a bit when you get to do work stuff that's really valuable to you personally as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's, um, yeah, it's heaps of fun. Yeah. Can I ask what, what's been the biggest change for you since becoming a dad in your work professionally? Like, has there been any moments where you go, oh, that maybe that wasn't the best thing to say or oh, I was on the money with that one? Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I often get asked about that's the biggest change and I don't think you have to be a parent to work with family. Um, I think it does give you a much easier pathway to kind of that empathy and compassion. That's really important. Though. And I, I remember I've been working for a while now in an unsettled babies clinic that looks at just kids under six months that are having a really tough time. And I very quickly, when I had my own unsettled baby, found that I just listened and validated a lot what the families were telling me as opposed to jump straight into this is what to do. Because um, a lot of the time that's what we're looking for, isn't it? We're not looking for an instant solution or advice. And so, yeah, and I remember a colleague actually telling me that, you know, just because someone's telling you they're struggling with something doesn't mean they want to hear your answer to it. Sometimes they just want you to listen and hear it and acknowledge that it's tough. So, you know, my clinical practice has probably changed a bit like that. I spent a lot more time listening since I've become a dad myself. Yeah, I think I found similar in my work that, yeah, um, our children definitely bringing out some of those more softer skills uh, in us as men and blokes, and, and, and especially that listening, I think. Uh, I've, I'm very similar. I find it so much easier to, maybe not easier, but more natural to to sit with what someone's saying before hopping in and, and giving yeah. Them, yeah, input. Yeah, it's so, great, isn't it? Isn't it funny that it's kids that teach us that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's because we're more likely to be seen as in a caring role with kids yeah. than we are with kind of our, our peers. But yeah, I, I've never heard it articulated that well, to be honest, but it's, um, yeah, that's beautiful to hear. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could share, like, I'm really keen to, to dive into professional stuff, but I think, you know, like as, as fathers, we all have these great stories 
um, about our fathering journey and, and what we've learned so far. So before we really dive into the professional stuff, I wonder if there's something from your parenting journey that's been a real highlight for you um, so far in the two years of your daughter's life. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny for me, and I think these are important stories to tell. I didn't have that instant connection to my daughter, Yvette. And a lot of people, I think, you know, I'm, I love kids and I was like, this is going to be amazing when I have my own. But for months when she was just crying and unsettled and sleeping and feeding, I was really worried that I wasn't connecting with her. I was kind of like, oh, God, maybe I'm not set out for this. And, you know, is my life going to be different now? Well, I never get that kind of independence back and time with my partner and all that stuff. But I think in, especially in the last few months, I've just seen her becoming this like little individual and it's been really beautiful. And that's probably a bigger, like bigger picture win that I've had recently, but a, a more specific one would be, I'm really like physically comforting. I kind of like, you know, I like being around a lot of people and I'm kind of, you know, very even affectionate with my mates, obviously my partner and stuff, but advanced my daughter is not so much like that. She kind of often wants space and stuff when she's stressed, but it was beautiful because she was having a pretty rough day last night. Um, my partner was doing like a 14, 15 hour shift. So I was in the trenches solo after a pretty long day myself and could tell she was a bit upset and we normally do book time and she just, she did, we kind of done the bath and brushed the teeth and all that stuff. And she didn't want a book. She just like wanted to be cuddled. And I was like, I was just sitting there on the couch going like, how good is this? Cause that doesn't happen much. And I was just, and it's funny cause I reckon she could sense how much I was getting out of it and probably did it like longer than she wanted to. Cause she's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's loving this. I better keep going. So yeah, it's beautiful, but it's it's this really funny thing, and I think you feel a bit uncomfortable as a dad talking like that because our dads, you know, the dads of our generation grew up with were a bit kind of you know scruff your hair up as they walked past you, and that was about it. Yeah. So that was a recent win for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, and and thank you for sharing about that connecting as well because I think for a lot of dads, um, it's it's not something that is often talked about that you might not naturally have that connection straight up. And there is, um, you know, some of that data out there that, that shows or that says that, you know, as dads, your brain changes and your chemistry changes and you'll connect to you. And I think it's, it's reassuring for a lot of our, our dads that are listening that, you know, hang on, it's okay. Like you've, you've got time to create that bond and, you know, like you didn't have the baby growing in you for, for all that yeah, time. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I know. Look, and it's it's really yeah, and it is a particular vulnerability to dads as well. I see a lot of my clinic that feel like that. They're like all of my friends on social media are loving it. When I made up with the mothers group, they're all having such an easy time, and I'm not. But particularly dads, because we're lacking that really intense hormonal change that helps mm. with the attachment stuff. So it's um yeah, it's really important that we have chats about that and be open about it. And then the more exciting bit is like what are the pathways to help build that, which we might get to chat in this conversation about, yeah. but that's the kind of fun stuff. Definitely, definitely. Well, your, your job is as a developmental pediatrician and that word developmental or development, child development, I think it can be a bit of a double-edged sword because yes, there's all this extra information we know about stages of development and leaps and all of that sort of language and understanding now, but probably for a lot of dads, I know for at least me that um, that extra information also can create a bit more second guessing of, 
um, you know, if your child hasn't met this um, sort of um, behavior or action yet, like, am I, like, am I doing something wrong? Is there something wrong with my child? So I wonder if, if we could dive into your work a bit to try and demystify some of that child development um, uh, sort of research, the textbook sort of stuff. Um, so I wonder, could you, maybe we could start with what exactly is it that you do as a, as a developmental pediatrician? You mentioned about working in a tertiary hospital and, and clinic and the sleep um, stuff with babies, but if you could just sort of flesh out a bit, what does that look like? Yeah, definitely. So unfortunately, it's a long pathway to see someone like me. And if I'm 100% honest, the professionals that are really powerful in supporting kids in their development are the ones that see them much more frequently. Yeah. Educators make a huge difference in kids in their development and their self-esteem and their well-being, as do maternal child health nurses, educators, allied health clinicians. Like there's just so many people out there that are doing phenomenal work. And I'm I'm a really small fish in that regard, and especially in a big tertiary hospital because it's um, even the pediatricians out there that are in the community um, are doing kind of much more intense, valuable work. The um, yeah, so I I kind of specialize in kids who might be struggling with their emotions. They might not be where the elders would expect them to be in terms of their development. The obvious stuff is language. They're not talking or picking up communication skills where we feel like they should be at. But the stuff that I really get excited about is emotional and social development. And language is a small bit of that, but you know, a lot of kids out there are, are finding it tough and parents feel really lost in how to support them. So mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of that stuff kind of individually with families, but I'm more excited about the group stuff and the advocacy. That's why this podcast is great and all of the other kind of public facing stuff that I do. I, um, yeah, we know that in Australia, one in seven kids or 14% of children aged four to 17 years of age have a mental illness in a 12 month period. And we know that most of them will never get to see a professional um, such as a general practitioner, a developmental pediatrician, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, so it's really hard. And even those that get to see people like me have long waits. So yeah, that can be tough when everyone says, hey, there's stuff we can do to help. Just go, go and see someone in clinic and then you find out it's a two-year wait. So a lot of the time I'm kind of, you know, trying to alleviate that distress that parents are having about what's going on. Is it my fault? How can I help my child? Yeah. <laughs> um, so then I wonder if we could dig into what what's sort of your working definition of child development? Because again, like there, there's a lot of literature, you know, I think most dads will pick up a book at some stage that says, you know, first steps by this stage, you know, first yeah, yeah. stage. So what's, what's the definition of development that you work with um, that, that sort of would be helpful for our dads listening in terms of just, again, just bringing it down to that level of that relationship with your child. Yeah, it's, it's a really great point. And um, every kid is an individual in how they progress through that development. And it's not a kind of linear straight line that they just keep getting better. They will have plateaus where they don't seem to go forward much. They might sometimes be worried that I feel like they were better at regulating their emotions than they are currently. Um, yeah, we know that kind of sometimes sleep and fussiness around feeding and even toileting, as we were speaking about earlier, can go back. So what I like to think about is that there's there's so many different realms to development. There's obviously, you know, 
what we call gross motor and that's the knee they're probably the easiest one to visualize and to observe in kids because you kind of go sweet they're kind of holding their head up now they can kind of roll they can sit unsupported they're starting to crawl they take their steps and they're walking and then they're obviously running and jumping and doing all those things oh god they do that (laughs) They do, yes. <laughs> uh, my, my daughter is quite funny because she's at the stage now where she thinks she's jumping, but she's actually not leaving the ground. So we're <laughs> celebrating jumping, but she's just kind of moving her body up and down. Um, but yeah, but walking is a good example. A lot of people are worried that, you know, a child has to be taking their first steps by their first birthday. We actually don't worry about it clinically until kids are 18 months old. Yeah. So, you know, and even then, most kids who are delayed in their walking, there's not something sinister causing it. Speech is a little bit more complex. So, you know, we know that little bubs will come out and they'll be making sounds and then they get a little bit better at articulating certain sounds. And we can kind of, we know a lot of parents are like, no, that's genuine distress or no, they're just being a bit, you know, agitated in the sounds they're making. And then they kind of start to, you know, first words, often mum or dada, and then kind of, you know, and that's often around the 12-month mark, but can be longer in kids. And then we kind of see this progression of, you know, 50 to 200 words as a two-year-old, and they're starting to put a couple of words together and all that stuff. But we know there's a whole heap of kids out there, so about 15% of um two-year-olds will have language delays. That's heaps of kids. Mm-hmm. And a small entry about six seven percent of kids are behind in their speaking which also doesn't mean something sinister it's just there's lots of stuff we can do like you know the basic stuff of check their hearing the more advanced stuff about like how do we enrich their language environments so that's kind of two areas we think about that are easy the kind of you know walking or gross motor development and then the kind of bit more complicated language development but we also have elements of our emotional development and our social development that are a bit more complex and harder to see. And I think a lot of families get stuck when they're like, you're this age, you should be able to do this by now. You should be able to be on your own and walk into kindergarten. You should be able to be able to handle it when someone's a bit mean to you. You know, you should be able to respond when I put a firm boundary in place and I have a meltdown. Mm-hmm. The problem is that that's not how it works. So we have to give kids the in their social and emotional development the level of support that they require and then we guide them in skill development. And it's a bit, you know, that's easy to do when you're trying to teach a kid to ride a bike because you're like, sweet, training wheels, i got to run along next to them and hold on to them. Sweet, they've got it. So they can do a meter without me, but I'm still right next to them. But we kind of expect in their emotional development that we get, we just decide one day you can do this on your own. And we've got to be a bit better at going, cool, if they're struggling, it's because they still need the training wheels or they still need me right next to them emotionally. And that's the bit that's really exciting to work on is, as opposed to like he can't he's not getting the hang of this it's how do we get the hang of it as the parents and professionals that are around this kid to give the level of support required so the kid nails it and gets better at it whether it's like sharing emotional regulation you know and that a developmental understanding is really important in that and a classic example is toddlers are very egocentric they a colleague of mine will often say that if toddlers were adults they'd all be in jail because they're (laughs) They think the world is theirs. Yeah, yeah. You only exist to serve me. You are, and they have no capacity for empathy. So the parents are like, I can't believe they're doing this because of how I feel. 
are asking too much of a toddler. So it's important that you don't set yourself up to fail by thinking that I wanted this toddler to realize this hurts me mm. or that this is hard for me or they're annoying their sibling. It's it's just you, you've, you're beyond their capacity and it's mm. same in kids that are a little bit older. Often the bright kids are vulnerable because families will go, no, no, I've spoken to them about it. They can say it back to me. Yeah. Everything's going to be fine. They're not going to do that again. And then they get distressed and they do it again because that's yeah. what all of us do. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Really hard in the moment when you're becoming, you know, dysregulated and stressed yeah. to be like, no, mum told me about this yesterday. So yeah. I'll just take some breaths and I won't get annoyed. Like that's, once again, it's just too much to ask of so many kids. And there's, yeah, so as I already am, I can talk about this for ages, but it's um, it's a really powerful thing just to think about what's a realistic expectation and instead of getting a kid to stop doing something, how do we together guide them towards what we do expect and what we do want in terms of behaviour. And the most two common reasons that that stuff fails is the expectation's too high or there's not enough consistency around the kid and they just go, cool you know that's i can't keep doing this because every time i look up and i'm struggling there's something different happening in a response yeah. and i think you know like that that area of the emotional social sort of stuff that's really reflective too on the parents like you know because as adults particularly because of the way we were parented that's an ongoing sort of growth and and, and development in us as parents um and and because for many parents, there isn't that model or example to draw upon is how do you respond to um, to feelings and behaviours that don't necessarily, yeah, sort of fit with what totally. you're setting expectations for. So I think it's, um, yeah, I, I'm really glad that you've brought it up because it is something that we're becoming more aware of as adults in ourselves and, yeah, like how do we actually model that? So I like that, you know, it's, it's, it really comes down to, as you say, that consistency and, and fairness in, in your expectations. Yeah, totally. And whenever we set goals, they should be specific. Like I'm always a bit worried when parents' goal is like, I wish they listened to me more. It's just that's a really hard target to hit. Whereas if it's like, I wish we enjoyed dinner time more, that's like, sweet, that's achievable. You know, and that's something that everyone can aim for. And it's we, it's not, I wish he behaved better at dinner. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, I always think about there's three different things around our role as parents in emotional development and support. And the obvious one is like, how we support them in their emotions. And once they're dysregulated, it's really just about safety and support. There's no lesson. The other thing is kind of what we do in terms of how we talk about emotions. So outside of the emotional distress around the dinner table and things like that, we validate and say that it's completely understandable to be angry or jealous or annoyed um, and try and, you know, give examples of when we feel like that. Um, but also talking about these are, I'm always, you know, thinking about how do we really give examples that are helpful to kids in terms of specifically handling that. And then the third one, which is probably the most important is how we role model it as parents. And we shouldn't be role modeling um, perfect parenting because it's impossible, but also there's a vulnerability that sets the kid up to be like, I never saw mum or dad angry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's something wrong with me if I get angry. So dads sometimes will come in a clinic and they'll be like, oh, I can't believe it. I yelled. 
And I'm like, that's totally fine. That's good, you know, observation for the kid to see that you're not perfect at it. And this amazing opportunity to really purposefully demonstrate how you recover from that. And you, you know, you talk about it and then you go, yeah, I just need to actually go and go for a run or I just need to go and get out of this environment for five minutes. And I came back in and I was like, sweet. And I now realized I needed to say sorry. And, you know, I'm, um, you know, it's something I'm constantly working on. That's really cool because then it validates that that's okay in our kids as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that repair is such a key to it as well. It's like, how do we come back and say, actually, I screwed up there. Um, yeah, everything's in the repair and the recovery. It's like if we can give our kids those skills, because you've got to remember like the generation that I grew up in, this is not stuff we talked about. There were missing podcasts, didn't exist, but people I've noticed with my mates now, we'll be at the pub having a beer and we'll be talking about what it's like to be a dad. But the role modeling that we got was not like this, you know, and that's why our podcast uses the biggest influence on how you will be parented, how you will parent is how you were parented. But it's also the cultural references you grew up with um, and influences. And that's why we use 80s and 90s movies because we watched kind of these people and we watched the the gruff, you know, tough dad who was just like, you'll get over it. And it's important to call that out and be like, actually, that wasn't really helpful. And it's not going to build, you know, excellence in your kids by just putting constant pressure and high expectations on them. You do it with, you know, solid rock foundation, unconditional relationships. Which is why I think, you know, your podcast and all the podcasts and all the information that's out there, like you can't just be for the parents like it's you know get it in front of grandparents and uncles and aunties and, and the broader community because it is a, it's a social construct isn't it that that idea of how we process our emotions um and and you know like as you say like it's in the movies because that was the culture and um i think definitely for that generation that was producing all of that imagery and all of that sort of ideology like that's the people that need to really be encountering this idea of hey actually like Emotions are okay, but how yeah. do we actually process that with our children and help them form a healthy relationship with their emotions? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I laugh because we've just done risk-taking. We used Indiana Jones and we've just recorded yesterday the um, follow-up and we get questions in from people and we got questions about lots of questions about grandparents, including like the grandparents say, you know, your younger sister can do this. Why can't you? Yeah. And just the vulnerability in the kid hearing that from key caregivers and how do we give the grandparents some tools that are a bit better and more helpful for that little boy than your two-year-old sister can do it. How come you're scared? You know? So yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I think you're right. We can't just isolate out the parents and say, you're responsible for all this. I think all of us as a community have a responsibility for everyone who's in it and we'll be a stronger community because of it. It's, it's not a selfless thing. It's like Yvette's going to have a greater experience if all of the kids that she grows up with have good mental health support around them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for all our dads listening, if you ever do get stuck trying to explain to your father or father-in-law about why you're allowing your kid to cry, you just reference the last five minutes of this interview and you'll be right. So Yeah, it's yeah, it's a really important thing. Um, and, yeah, because there is a huge vulnerability in that. We know there's so many sensitive kids out there that are really struggling and we need to be responsive to them. We don't 
set expectations they can't meet and because it really challenges their self-esteem and it also impacts what their expectations are around future relationships you know if they think i've got to be tough and i've got to be perfect otherwise someone will be disappointed in me it means that they have a vulnerability in how they perceive themselves in relationships but they might you know have that expectation on others as well and mm. you know, it's not okay for you to fall down because my granddad taught me that that's not okay for me mm. um, i'm wondering if we could switch gears here because we've sort of done the, the big picture of like culture society all of those different constructs i wonder if we can take it down to that level now of like a dad one-to-one with their child um what are some of the skills that our dads or we as dads can develop that's helpful for supporting our children? So like, for example, um, you, you referenced before about Evie jumping and, you know, it's still on the spot, but celebrate. Like, that's what my little boy does when he hops. It's really like a, a little horsey sort of trot. Yeah. Um, but like, how? What, what are the ways that we can support and encourage um, our children? Like, is there... Is there a specific way that we should be um, giving them praise, for example, or, or feeding back to them? And then how, well, let, let's start with that first. Like how do we really support and encourage our children? It's a great question. What the evidence would show around praise is that it needs to be immediate and it needs to be specific. So the kind of good job, your grace in the moment is less helpful than I'm, you know, I really, I think you're amazing at hopping, you know what I mean? Also, you know, it's nice to give them a sense of autonomy and self-worth in how we do that and say, you must be so proud as opposed Mm. to I'm so proud is a nice little tip. It also has to be kind of the in the moment, the specific bit about that is kind of at the end of the day, giving a kid on a pat at the back because he did well is just so vague and you're not actually reinforcing stuff. So often kids who are struggling in their behavior, what we unintentionally do is we can sometimes focus too much on the negative behavior that they're carrying out. And what we need to do is look for the specific things that they're doing well and reinforce and elevate that. And what that does, it actually train changes their brain circuitry to reinforce that wiring. Because we talk about kind of what fires wires and when they're struggling and they get upset and hit someone or whatever, if we go in and kind of unintentionally reinforce that, we're almost rewiring that mechanism of getting support. Mm. Whereas what we want to do is say like, I could see you were distressed and I'm here to help you. And, you know, what I want you to do is just to come over or call out or whatever. And I'm always going to be here and always come in and help you. And when you see little examples of that, you praise it specifically and say it was amazing. And that's how you transfer the celebrating the hop or the jump or the effort in that to celebrating kind of better strategies at emotional regulation and, you know, interacting with peers, examples, sharing with your siblings and all that stuff. What we, know a lot of parents understandably do is they're like sweet i need to get the washing done i've got to cook dinner i've got to clean the house you just play with your brother you know over there and the only time the parent has the capacity to go in is when it falls apart mm-hmm. what we've got to try and do is go in when they're succeeding and be and sit down at the kids table or on the floor or whatever when they're doing it well and that it's this really it's almost like a preemptive strike to be like i want this to keep going yep. and yep. what we make the mistake of doing is waiting for it to fall down yep. and there's no reinforcement of the really awesome stuff that's happening it's a bit it's the same as us as parents we focus 
so much on the stuff we're stuffing up. Yeah. In 20 years, I've never met a parent that isn't doing something amazing. And I spend my time reinforcing that. Is it, is, is it ever too late to start doing that with your children? Like, you know, if any of our dads are teenagers, like, is it too late to start doing that positive reinforcement and that um, immediate specific sort of praise? Yeah, no, no way. Yes, no, never, never too late. So the most important, and this is a bit vague, but I'll explain it. The most important thing about parenting and the best strategy that the evidence would show us is what's called reflective practice. Yeah. What that actually looks like is that, you know, if you're lucky enough to be parenting with someone else or even if you're parenting on your own, as much as you can try and go, how are things going? Mm-hmm. Almost, you know, there'll be probably people listening that are like, you must be kidding me, I'm drowning. Mm-hmm. But that's almost more of a reason to say, cool, I've got to get heaps of stuff off my plate. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe homework and take a break for a while. Maybe I'm not going to be making cooked meal with vegetables every night. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to stop hammering them about, you know, how they're misbehaving. And I'll focus on the number one priority, which is the relationship I have with them. So that is from the moment a baby's born, and I struggled with that at the start, mm-hmm. to the teenager that's disengaging and just not interacting with you and shutting you out. Prioritise the relationship. I speak to a lot of families that have teenagers that are really struggling, and they're like, he's getting kicked out of school, he's, you know, he's really antisocial, he's doing this destructive stuff. And I'm like, you've got to have, you've got to go back to the relationship. And I'll say, you know, what do you guys do together that you both enjoy? And I constantly, every day I'd meet a family in clinic that can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. And it's really important because we don't have kids to hassle them and to cause us stress. We have them to celebrate supporting these kids in their development to give them, you know, possibly richer lives than we had and we have so you can get really stuck into trenches of like, no, he's about to get kicked out of school. I've got to come down hard on him. But if you don't have a positive relationship, that's, you know, un- unconditional positive regard and love at the, the foundation of it, you're really fighting a losing battle against kind of getting this kid back on track. So from every kind of stage, there is always opportunity for recovery. And even the kids' most destructive behaviours, they are signalling that they're struggling, which is a really important thing to do. And we try as much as we can and see all of those emotions and behaviours as opportunities to connect. And even if 10% of the time we get a little bit of connection, it's still worth trying every time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So then when... What are sort of signs then of, of maybe not red flags, but indicators that our children or even us as parents need some additional support in that space and to seek out that help from say professionals like yourself? What are some of the signs that we we might need that additional support? Yeah, so general two general rules are like any time a parent's worried, they should seek out help. Um, you should never feel like, you know, you should just suck it up or that's just the way it should be. Parenting's meant to be tough. So anytime you're beyond your capacity, you should seek out support. The other thing is when we think about kids, we try and think instead of like, is this anxiety, is this ADHD, we try and think how is this kid going? You know, the big red flag is a kid who's, not functioning as well as they were, especially when it's more than a couple of weeks, like we talked about at the start. You know, we all have a movement through the day in terms of the quality of our mental health and how we're feeling. The kids that are persistently, you know, off the metric they used to be on for more than a couple of weeks, that's time to try and reach out and say, hey, especially when it's things like, 
you know, he used to be very comfortable attending school, but he's not anymore. She used to be really interested in playing netball, but I've noticed she doesn't care anymore. She's got a lack of interest. She's really flat. She's really agitated. You know, he's really struggling to sleep. He's lost his appetite. Those are all signs for us that a kid is showing kind of early difficulties in how well they're functioning. And that's when we like to think about professional support coming in place. And often educators, including um, childcare educators, are the first best port of call because those guys have huge expertise in observing hours a day, lots of kids for, you know, 300 days a year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if we can just continue with that track and um, like what does that look like, I guess, and, and just to demystify further for, for parents, like if their child is struggling, like as you say, like seek a professional, is that their GP or what's what's sort of that next step then? Yeah, so I think the schools are really good first port of call with younger kids, especially like under fours. Maternal child health nurses are phenomenal because they often well connected in the community so they'll yeah. kind of be really good first port of call of like i worry they're not talking as much as they should be or i'm worried that they you know are too angry or whatever it is they're really good at kind of doing an assessment themselves and then thinking about who else should be involved yeah. the pathway to medical specialists such as myself or allied health practitioners like speech pathologists or occupational therapists is your general practitioner and they are probably the most important medical specialist in any community is the GP yeah. and they are really good first protocols and I've learned a lot with all of those professionals I've just mentioned actually but general practitioners especially can be really helpful and then yeah. if there is concern that you need to see a developmental pediatrician they can refer in we do a lot of training we, we train you know for the states the developmental pediatricians that are coming up and we're trying to shift away from this kind of hierarchy expert model of like you're seeing Billy, Billy knows everything. Yeah. It's a real partnership and families should expect that, that they come in and they go, oh, this is what I'm after. This is the priority for me. I'm the expert of my child. And then what we work together is how do we kind of alleviate those concerns? How do we go through an assessment process? And how do we use all the knowledge that I've got in my head and all of your expertise around your child to find a pathway for things to be better than they are? That's the kind of that's what it hopefully looks like for most families. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, thank you for sort of illustrating that because I think like there's still a little bit of the, the image of well, my child is struggling and I seek out help that I'll go into some register of like crappy parents or like my kid is going to get institutionalized. Blah, blah, blah. Like it actually is this, and we're seeing it more and more that medical model moving towards that community tribal approach of how do we surround this child and support them, which is really awesome. And, and yeah, I think the work that you're doing and, and how you speak about it is really helpful for that as well. Definitely. I mean, it's crazy. We, we think that, you know, I think sometimes we worry that the parents that are nailing it, it's because of how good they are and their kid is doing so well because of how good they are at parenting. But it's often more to do with the kid's natural temperament, unfortunately. Um, I've got a very settled temperament daughter and because yeah. I'm an expert, it's just because the genetics that have come out in her are that she's like, a, she's really settled and chilled out. So I can't claim that. It's also really important that, you know, I see a lot of families that have gone through child protection mm. and I see a lot of them. And when I work with them and we find this stuff and I say, you're doing that amazingly well, 
I'll often hear, oh, no one's ever told me that before. Mm-hmm. And you kind of, same as with kids, you become who you hear you are. And if you constantly hear that you're not doing this well, you will feel like that and you're vulnerable to kind of creating that identity unintentionally. We need to realise that parenting is tough and there is no handbook that's given when you leave hospital that says this is how to do it. Yeah. Um, you've given us some really great practicals in terms of um, how to support emotions, how to praise, how to identify some of those challenges. Are there any other sort of practical skills or behaviours or things that dads can really focus on? Even, um, you know, like a lot of our dads are new dads, expecting dads like ourselves. Um, what, what would you say is some, like, the basic toolkit for a dad in terms of supporting their child's development? Yeah, so basic toolkit is like look after yourself um, is the most important bit and that can seem a bit selfish but it's important for two reasons. You will have more capacity um, to support your child whether they're a newborn or a teenager or anything in between but it also role models really good kind of mental health care for yourself and then our kids look around and go, Dad always makes sure he goes for a run, he catches up with his mates Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. (laughs) I'd also say that... When your child is struggling and you're supporting them, just because they're they're still struggling in that moment, whether it's a little baby that's crying or a teenager that's still really distressed, it doesn't mean what you're doing isn't helping. Mm -hmm. And we know that kind of co-regulation and emotional support and all those things take time. And we're working at getting better at them every time we interact with our kid and try and support them. And we should just learn that lesson together and not put the pressure on ourselves that will be perfect and if the baby's still crying or the teenager's still struggling it's because we're stuffing it up it's just that we've got we need more time to learn how to support them better and that's a journey that we go on from the whole time there's no I think a lot of parents, especially dads, have this unrealistic expectation that I'll have this one chat with them and it'll be fine. I'll just be like, go in and face the bully or the pep talk before, you know, going over the jump on the bike or whatever. But we've got to make sure we've got a really good check-in to make sure that the kid's actually okay and feels like they can say, no, I'm not good for this or I don't feel confident doing that. Um, because the chat, it's more about what we show them than what we tell them. Mm. And we that mistake of being like, I've told you this. Yeah. Why are you not doing it better? But just think ourselves, like if you're, you know, the classic example for me is you're driving and you're running late and someone cuts in front of you and you get really annoyed and you're like raging. And then two minutes later, you're like, God, why did I get so upset about that? It's just yeah. like, I mean, yeah. But you can give yourself that pep talk the whole time and the moment the person cuts in front of you, that part of your brain's gone. So it's really important that if that happens to us, it definitely happens to our kids. They just lose the ability to reason once they become emotionally distressed. So dropping that expectation is another one. As you can tell, I can probably give you 30, but hopefully there's um, hopefully those few are helpful. That is, that is absolutely. Um, I'll switch now to talking about your podcast because I'm I'm an avid listener of your guys' podcast, Pop Culture Parent, Pop Culture Parenting. Um, yeah. I, I love um, the structure that you guys have and, and you sort of reference it before where you take a, a movie clip that, you know, nostalgic for our generation and, and sort of pull out some of the learnings that we can find in it as parents and then 
couple of weeks later, you record a, a follow-up where you take listener questions and, and really, again, what you've done now, bring it to that practical, helpful sort of level. I'm really interested. What's What's been your favourite movie you've used so far on the pop culture parenting? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, so the numbers would say that, like, people, the, the one that's, I think, the most listened to is... Um, rambo and tantrums yeah <laughs> that was funny because i just it was just a little joke that i wanted to do on air with nick uh, my mate who's the co-host of that and he um because rambo if people remember it he's, he just wants to get some food and the sheriff kicked him out of town and it's such a common tantrum thing of yeah, like yeah. i just wanted that and then they blow up and rambo goes to war like a lot of our toddlers do they don't get what they want but I think a lot of them have been um, helpful for different reasons. People really liked um, Finding Nemo and Kids Who Can't Focus because there's so many out there, regardless of ADHD or not. Mm. Um, I, you know, never-ending story and depression. I, you know, often the hardest thing for me in writing the episodes is not the reflection time because that's what I do every day. I answer questions about that, but it's making the link with the movie and the topic and. Um, yeah, and there's a really beautiful um, episode, I don't know if you've listened to it, with Pretty Woman and Self-Esteem where Nick just has this huge vulnerability. We do one take, we never cut anything out of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're just one of the most powerful things of the podcast is just it's two mates that are sharing this journey of parenting and that's um, that comes through hopefully in all of it but definitely in some of them. And then I guess the last one that I've always really loved is... Um, during the pandemic, we were getting a lot of questions. We've tried to make it evergreen and not do anything that's kind of topical. Um, yeah. But we're getting asked a lot about stuff about supporting kids through a pandemic. And so it was really about supporting kids through traumatic experiences. And we did Aliens because there's um, this beautiful scene where, where Ripley supports Newt, the little kid who's lost her entire family to the aliens. And it's such a beautiful demonstration of mental health first aid that I was like, I have to use this. The way that she gets down to her level, listens to her before she's even said anything, she's caring for her. She's like cleaning her and she just validates her experiences and prioritizes her feeling safe. And you just like, there's entire textbooks that are about that kind of two minute scene in, in one of the best, you know, action horror movies that of the last 40 years. Yeah. So it's this really cool thing that I, um, yeah, I love trying to think about how I combine that with theory. It's this really fun thing that I get to do every week. Yeah, it's awesome. And for our listeners, if you are looking for another podcast, particularly a good parenting podcast, I highly recommend it. Not just because of the movies and, and the links you make, but I just love how genuine yours and Nick's relationship comes across. And I, I really love how affirming and positive you are to one another. And, and what you were saying before about... Um, pointing out what parents are doing well, you and Nick do that just so organically as you talk. And and I just think it's a great model for our dads listening of like what a dad mate can can be and what that relationship can look like. So I wonder, based on on just that that awesome relationship you guys seem to have, um, I don't know off off air what it looks like or sounds like, but what would you sort of advise? For dads and, and dad mates, we're making that up, but I, I sort of like it. But what what can they be talking about to support one another? Um, what are the areas that you think are really crucial for dads to support each other in? 
Yeah, it's it's a really good point. And I think that's why that podcast works well is because that's not kind of some manufactured, you know, mm. relationship. That's um, the reason I asked Nick to be on it actually was because when I found out my partner was going to have a baby, he was one of the few mates that was just really genuinely excited about it because yeah. he had one child at that stage. Um and he was just pumped and he was like, sweet, let's go, let's go and go into the chemist and we're going to get like nipple cream and we're going to get pads and we're going to, and you know, the, the chemist was like, who are these two guys? <laughs> yeah. Pretty similar as well. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it, that was the reason and it's really flourished on the podcast seeing that side of him um, because, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, mate, your life's over now. You'll never be able to have beers anymore and say goodbye to sleep and, it's just it's like marriage. It's like so many people do it, but there's this real negative setup around it. And so that was that's why Nick is amazing. But he is also honest. He talks about how hard it is and he talks about how, you know, it, it's good sometimes to leave them in daycare for a little bit longer so him and his partner can go and grab a wine somewhere before they pick them up. And those are honest conversations, you know, and saying this does suck sometimes. And um, yeah, what I would say is it's really funny. A lot of listeners will tell us that they feel like like they're hanging out with mates and I've had a couple of people come and tap me on the shoulder in public, which I love. Yeah. So I obviously get that sense from Nick, but I don't get the sense from the listeners that yeah. we're kind of creating this community and everyone out there who's a parent, especially dads should feel like they have that community. Even if it's just one bloke, that's also got kids that you can just once a fortnight have a beer with and go, Oh man, I really lost my cool or my partner's really frustrating me or, you know, I don't know what to do. I, I'm really struggling with getting, sorting out sleep or I'm worried my kid's getting bullied. Like those are really important conversations to be able to have with someone that you trust and respect the opinion of. So I've often thought about, I'd love to set something up formally, but I've got to um, get my dance card a bit freer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be doing something that's a bit more personal support group because i think it's really important and mums are really good at it mums at a mum's group they set that up and stuff but i think we're getting better a lot of the guys at the gym that i go to to have kids recently yeah yeah, they reach out i don't think that was 10 20 years ago yeah yeah absolutely and that's sort of the story of dad's group you know like we we saw mums doing it really well didn't see something for dads and so yeah, like um, a lot of our listeners will be part of a local group, but if you're not, you can always hop onto the Dad's Group website. Um, we've got local groups all across Australia. And Billy, you'd be welcome to come to one of ours. Thank you. Um, I could probably use it a lot of the time as yeah. well. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I sort of love like some of those things you bring up because I know sometimes like we'll be sitting there with our coffees, the kids are playing on the playground, we're just sort of looking at each other. But yeah, it's actually okay to to ask each other questions. It's important. It's crucial to ask each other questions. Um, yeah, I I think so. And just checking in because making sure you check in and you genuinely do it. I think sometimes they're like universal. <clears throat> let's have a day where we check in on everyone. Yeah. The risk is what about if it's another day of the year? And and if you just if you're not genuinely checking in with someone, they can they can usually tell. Yeah. So just genuinely checking in how our mates, all of them are going, is really important. But especially those with kids, because it can be tough, and there is a vulnerability that I can't actually say that I'm finding this really hard mm-hmm. uh, because you know it's not culturally or socially accepted, whereas it really should be, which is yeah. Yeah, part of why I do this for sure. For sure. And and 
I think I, I want to say thank you for you and Nick for the way you model that. And, you know, you guys and our dads groups and, and this change for, for dads where we do get together and support one another, like I think it's such a positive thing. And there's been a couple of times where our local dads group, um, you know, a, a grandma has come across and said, oh, this is awesome. Or even the other day, me and my mate, we had our kids and we're walking along and a, a lady came up and said, this is so good that you're out with your, with your kids. and um you know when it's just me and my mate sometimes we wonder if they think we're the couple or <laughs> yeah, yeah nick and i get that a lot because we've got yeah. three red-headed daughters so <laughs> we're usually rolling around and we'll often get like this beautiful over the top like smile and nod and we're like yeah. i think we're both which <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is cool you know because we kind of are a lot of the time to be honest yeah. Um, yeah 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 we are parenting together a lot so yeah. my my best mate our wives talk about we go on more dates than what we do with our lives. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it's important, isn't it? These yeah. relationships are really important to us and they get harder as you get older and you get yeah. kind of more on your plate in terms of kids as well. So they're a really important thing to protect for our own mental health, but to role model to our kids as well, that people really matter to me. Mm, absolutely. Well, Billy, I want to say a huge thanks for your time. For, for our listeners that want to keep sort of following along with your work, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so we usually use Instagram. I've, um, I'm Doc Billy Garvey, and we have Pop Culture Parenting as two different handles that I run. I've got a website as well, which will have a lot of the new stuff that I'm doing. I'm about to go overseas um, to try and learn a bit more about how we can get more help around kids. Yeah. But we'll start doing more in terms of kind of school talks and getting out to groups. Oh, nice. Yeah, so just please use those kind of pathways to follow and be involved. And we're really richly engaged with our listeners, so we usually use Instagram for that. Yeah, great. And, I mean, Billy Garvey is a pretty searchable name on Google as well. Yeah, there's people with that name out there. um, Yeah, but, no, it's been great talking to you, Adam. I think what you guys are doing is amazing, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm more than happy to come back in the future too. Awesome. We'd love to have you. Thanks so much for your time. Cool. Thanks, Adam. Awesome. And we also want to thank our listener for tuning in today. If you haven't already, go check out our website at www.dadgroup.org. In this space, we've got some awesome resources for support for families, new and expecting families. Uh, There's a lot of mental health support there by some amazing organizations. On this website as well, you can also support Dad's Group through purchasing our merchandise or a solid donation would be amazing and help us impact the lives and and, uh, of, of new and expecting families all around Australia. But thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys.